Amen. Can you bless them in the house of God? We're happy you're here. You may be seated. Daryl, are you able to stay up here or should I get Lawrence to do it? You can do it? Awesome. Would you please stay up here? We're going to do something unique for this service. Open up your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 13. We're coming to the conclusion of the book of Hebrews. And one of the things that you're going to notice is that it gets super practical right now. How many felt that Hebrews was really deep? I mean, we went deep into the Word of God. I hope that you enjoyed the series. We are in the last chapter. Maybe, Lord willing, three messages, top five. I don't know. We'll see as the Lord leads even today. But what the author, who I believe is Paul, does is now takes all of that great theology and makes it practical. And what I was thinking about was how to apply these things to our lives because I know as a preacher, most of you have heard these things if you're coming to church multiple times. In other words, these kinds of things are not new to you, like keep on loving one another. How many have come to church and heard that before? Right, you see that up there, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So this is what I would like to do today is I would like to apply it to our lives. So what we're going to do is put into action each one of these things as possible. And if we're not able to like hop out the church and go do it right now on the sidewalk, we're going to pray that we can do it and commit our lives to it. You all ready for this? Okay, here we go. Chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do in just a few moments. It's going to be okay to move around. But I'm going to start praying for us to love better in the community. Then I'm going to ask someone else to pray. A few of our elders and deacons will help today. But if you are here and you have something against someone in this church, I want you to move by them to them and confess your ought with them. If there are husbands and wives here and you have not been getting along, to do that with each other. If there are children that haven't been getting along with their parents or each other, that they need to do that. So in other words, we're going to pray this out. I'm going to have a few people pray. And, you know, if you don't need to move around and you're not going to be one of the people I call on to pray, then just keep an attitude of prayer. And maybe even look at your phone. I give you permission to do that. To think of someone on your Facebook, your Instagram, that you can pray for, that you can love. So how many got some enemies and or frenemies in their life? So maybe go, (laughs) some of you are like, no, not me. Go and look them up and start praying for them. Pray that you can love them, that you can forgive them. Now, I want to be clear on this, that loving one another as brothers and sisters does not mean we approve of behavior that needs distance in our lives from people that harm us or hurt us. So if you're in a situation that has caused you great pain physically or mentally, we're your advocates. Talk to us after service. We're going to start intervening, and we're not going to place you back in there without safety. And if we can get them out, we're going to get them out, okay? So I just want to be very clear with that. And how many of you over the years of attending our church have heard me make that advocate clause over and over again? The reason why I do that is because so often, In settings like this, an abuser will use that as an excuse. Forgive me. I'm working on this. God said to forgive and love. And as many years as I've been a pastor, I've always had that clause in there because I'm an advocate for you. We are here to defend you. And even if someone needs to go to jail for that abuse, it's better to go to jail as an abusive husband, get your time served or, you know, do some community service than to try to hide what you're doing. Because if you've made promises and you haven't kept and you keep beating your wife or your kids, sir, we need to help you. 
You need that. You need the law to step in. Okay. So I just I just want to be very clear. And then here's my my, my last thing on this. We don't call La Migra. We're not calling immigration. We do not consider. We do not consider what's going on in our government with different immigration issues to be the same thing as someone abusing and hurting and harming. Amen. So I just want to be clear. I get an amen from the, my gente here. Okay. So what we're talking about as a church is that we're always covering. Our base, not that no one ever told me to do this. I do this on my own, sister, and I know you've heard me over the years. Because we want our homes to be safe. We want our children to be safe. We don't want anyone to ever feel like when you come to a church like this, and we're talking about forgiving and loving your enemies, that we're saying accept their abuse, stay in that abuse, don't tell anybody their abuse. We don't want that. Amen? Okay. So I'm going to ask that Monica would come stand up next to me, and then we're going to begin to pray that we would love each other. I'll also ask that a few of our altar workers will come up here, some of our elders and deacons, and if you need help loving enemies, maybe you've gone through some hard times and your heart's getting really hard towards one another, to do that, okay? So here are our assignments. It's really simple. If you're sitting next to somebody you need to love more, do that. If you need us to help pray for you so you can love others, do that. If you're chill and you're good, start praying for those you can think of. And it doesn't necessarily have to be those you're not doing well with, but I'm saying start there so you can cover your bases. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Father, help us to love. Help us to be kind to one another. Lord, we pray for this city that's been known for its violence. We pray for violence to end across this city. We pray for young people to love each other as you have loved them. And that, Lord, there will be forgiveness towards old offenses. And that, Lord, you'll begin to strengthen our communities even in our marriages, our families. Lord, we pray for love. It's a command, and it benefits us, O oh Lord. Loving someone is not weak. Father, it makes us stronger. It makes us stronger, Lord. I pray for any in this church that are having struggles in their marriage or their families, that they will love, that they will learn to love, that they will forgive, that, Lord, there'll be peace in the home, there'll be peace with the children, and that there will be a blessing, Father, upon them as they learn to love as you have loved us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your great love. Thank you because we can love because you first loved us. Thank you because even though when we were sinners, you died for us, Lord. And thank you because you are the God for the sinner, Lord. Lord, I pray that if anyone here has something against someone, Lord, that they can forgive, that Give them the heart that you have, Lord. May they see with your eyes. May they feel with your heart. Lord, we know that the enemy is here to kill and destroy, Lord, and we know that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Lord, so we pray that you change hearts, that we can see the way you see us with love, grace, and mercy. Jesus, we know that you can do it because we are a living testimony. Lord, we have done some questionable things, but we know that you can do it. We know that you are the same God as yesterday, today, and forevermore, that you don't change, that your desire is to see us change, to see us live for you, to make disciples of the nations. So, Lord, we pray that today we do not leave the same way we came in, that these chains, these things that are trying to hold us to our past, that keep us from growing, that we may be set free because you set us free, Lord. So in your name, Jesus, I pray. I pray that this may advance your kingdom, 
that this be used for your glory and honor. Amen. Now, if you guys could grab a seat and be available to stand up in just a few moments, I'd appreciate that. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13 as we listen to love and how it's to be defined and lived. These are the prayers that we pray for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is, uh, does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So that's what we're going for here. How many are going to live that out this week? Amen. Live it out in Jesus' name. Amen means I agree right on. I dig it. Let's go. Okay, Hebrews chapter 13, moving on. The Bible says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Oftentimes we think of angels with wings and eyes all over them, four-headed as times in the Bible it describes them. But those are actually seraphim and cherubim. They, they are a type of a spiritual creature, but they are not necessarily angels. So to be very specific, angels are messengers. Angelos means messenger. That's what it means. And anyone can be a messenger. A human can be a messenger. God can send his son to be a message, as the Bible says. He's known as the angel of the Lord. And then heavenly creatures can be messengers, like Gabriel, as you see him giving the message to the Virgin Mary. Well, I say all of that because in Genesis chapter 18, it says God came to meet with Abraham, but he came with two angels. And those folks did not recognize either God and the angels. And so when we look at Scripture, the Bible says these angels could still show up to your barbecue and hang out. And oftentimes, we think that they would have to be scary in their power and have all of those manifestations of their wings and their, the eyes on them. But once again, they're going to look like us and interact with us. Billy Graham actually wrote a book about this where people told testimonies about how they interacted with angels unaware. And now, what I believe is happening with the aliens is that these are fallen angels. So if good angels can appear like one of us or come very scary or in power, if there's different versions of them, like I said, the seraphim and cherubim, then I wonder what these fallen angels can do. So if physical, uh, if angels can do physical things, then so can demons. So this is what I believe to kind of tie it together, that as we're coming to the end times, what people are calling aliens are actually fallen angels. And can they reveal to us technology and do things in this earth? Absolutely. And so if you're asking me, Joe, what will you do if they show us these bodies and this technology? I'm going to say that's exactly what my Bible said. Now, you might think that's a little bit strange, but the Bible does not draw a thick line between the natural and the supernatural in our Bibles. How many know it's pretty like thin in our Bibles? They cross from realm to realm. And so what I believe, and I believe the Scripture says this, but I don't debate over it. It's not a big issue. I'm just helping you see how, how you can possibly see what's going on, is that in the end times, the angelic realm is going to intermingle with the human realm. And then the evil angels are going to be trying to deceive us. And what way could they deceive us? What we call aliens, what we call uh, mythology or things like you've seen in Marvel. And now that we've been prepared with the AI and all of this technology, it won't be unbelievable to people. I mean, how many know most people would think aliens are possible or that they could see an alien? Like no one's going to say like, I can't, you know, who's really going to say it's, that's impossible. So now that people have really like understood, oh, it's possible that I could meet an alien. It's possible that this thing could happen. 
Well, all a demon has to do is say, that's what I am. I come from this place way over there, right? And how many know the devil's a liar? So he's going to deceive. He's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if they come down looking like Avatar, the Navu people, you know, telling us that they come from over here, uh, the plant Pandora, you know, then how are we going to argue with them? It's not like we can travel over there, check up on them, say like, hey, I'm a Karen, and I want to check up on the Thalian. I want to make sure that all their documents are in order. Like, no, you're, you're going to take them at their word. They just came down on a, a, a shiny ship and just stepped out with some pretty amazing powers, and they don't look like us, okay? So why do we need to be aware of that? Because that line can be thin between our two realms, and the Bible gives us that worldview. You have permission to think about the world that way. Just don't do it in the way the world does. So maybe I could say this. The world says you came from evolution, where we say, you know, God did it. And they want to say, like, well, we can kind of, like, somehow explain it like this, and we go, no, we can explain it better like this. Well, it's the same thing with aliens uh, or, or supernatural creatures or creatures not from here. They want to say, well, those are aliens. Let us explain it. And we're like, no, let us explain it. Because once we say the name of Jesus, they start submitting to the power. And you hear about people who have had these encounters, and they've used their Christian background, and the angels, or, or rather those aliens, respond to them saying the name of Jesus. So just remember that. But what I want to emphasize about this and to pray for you about is because, believe it or not, we've had people in this church get blessed with homes, great jobs, and then be afraid to do Bible studies in their homes. We never make you do things like that. Trust me, we're never going to be like, well, put a Bible study there. But we've had people in our church be a part of Bible studies. The Bible study grows, and then we've come to them, not me personally, but the, the elders have, and leaders, and go, hey, uh, can we split off this Bible study and be in your house? And do you know that we've had people leave the church over that? Like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. You want to put people in my house? I don't feel right about that. And then we'll talk to them and be like, well, hold on, that's kind of strange. I mean, we're not saying you, you can't, you know, make that decision and still be in the church. We're just wanting to know, why would you make that decision? The Bible commands us to be hospitable. And then people have made up all kinds of excuses. Well, I have a messy house, or, or I don't feel like I have anything to give. And we're like, well, we'll help you to give. I mean, some chips, coffee, that's, that'll come out of a budget. Or that life group, the people who will come, they'll pitch in. But we, we just want to see, like, what's going on? We'll help you clean. You know, I've, I've, I've done all of these things I can for people, and then still, believe it or not, they'll get offended. So not if you're offended, because I don't think most of you would be. I think most of you, if you became a leader in this church, you would say, Lord, use me in any way that you can. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So I just want to be very clear. We don't force you to open up your houses. We just ask you to be generous, kind people, okay? And so what I want to do is pray that God's going to bless everybody here. Now, if you don't have the right attitude, and what I just said is, is you, and you're scared, and you're the 1% here, that's a little bit weird. We love you, and we'll pray for that. Keep that between you and the Lord or somebody, because they're going to come back up here where we'll pray for that. We don't want to make you feel bad. But here's what I want to pray for everybody. I want to pray that all of us have bigger homes, bigger cars, and bigger budgets so that we can give it away. How many would like to do that? Amen. I want to pray that you have enough room in your house to bring people in if they need help. That if we need to adopt children, we can adopt them. That if you need to bring somebody that's in the church that's struggling, maybe those that we were talking about before who are in an abusive situation and they need a place to stay, we want to believe that they can stay at your house, my house. We also want to pray that we have enough food to share. Some of the things that we do in this church is when someone has a baby or they're sick or they lose a loved one, we send them meals, you know. And we want to believe, God, that you can do that, that you could be on that list. How many think that's a pretty cool list? You know, like we all can't give, you know, the, 
the people that are sick everything we have, otherwise we'd be homeless. But if we put you on a list, let's say there's 50 on that list, when your time comes up, I want it to be a joy to you. Instead of being like, oh no, my budget's too tight. And once again, there's no judgment. Everybody say no judgment. Because I know we're a radical church and sometimes people think like we're so radical, like we're going to be radical about that. No, we're not. We're not radical about embarrassing people. But what I'm just saying is I want everybody in this church to be able to do that. It's, it's my time to get the Luminati's pizza. Okay, I'll order it on the app, door dash it off to them. Okay, it's, it's my turn to go out to the abortion clinic, and we've seen a young woman uh, decide to keep the baby. I want to be a part of uh, throwing her baby shower, so I need to have two or $300 to pitch in for that. How many want to have more than enough that you can give it away? Amen. So I'm going to ask that our prayer workers would uh, come back up. I'm going to ask that my wife would come. My wife comes from a family of generosity. How many of you come from families that are generous? You don't go to the barbecue unless you come home with three or four take-home plates. Uh, you don't have a meal unless there's a meal for 20 and there's only four of you there. The first time I came to her family's house, we were not dating. She was the administrator of the youth group, and her, her mom and dad from Greece wanted to have the pastors over. So me and the pastor went over there with his wife, or was it just me and him? So the pastor and his wife came. And when we sat down at the table, we saw her family. It was just her and her mom and dad, so three, and then us was like three, another three would be six. When we saw the table, we said, uh, did you invite the whole church as a potluck, and we forget to let everybody know here? I mean, this is, uh, this is quite a bit of food here, but we left with so much food. And then as her family knew that I liked Greek food, and of course I think they knew that she liked me. There's a little story behind that. I don't know. But but they but they kept sending food with her. And so she would come as the Greek administrative assistant. Pastor, I have this for you, you know. This is gyros that my mamia Yaya made. Here's gyros, you know, souvlaki, you know, and all of this. It's not be eating it all. You know, that's how we want to be. We want to be generous, okay? So if you've been stingy, if you haven't been doing those things, confess it to the Lord. If you want to pray, and please, I want you to feel open to come to these altars. Let's not leave them open, okay? Come, come, come. Don't just let them stand by themselves. If you want God to bless you on your job, or some of you young people, you want to start a career, and you're starting to think about, let them pray for you right now. This is a good time for blessings on our lives. If you're in debt, student debt, or credit card debt, and you want God to get you out, let's pray for the wisdom to happen here. It's not going to be like... Uh, you know, sprinkle dust and win a lottery, what we're doing is we're praying for wisdom. Amen? We're praying for credit card debt to go as you use wisdom to stop overspending, call up the cards, uh, the companies, ask them for favor, consolidation, all these kinds of things. Let's pray. Father, we ask for our generous people. You said, Lord, that we're to have so much. It's to be in our lives that we can give it to others, even if angels were to come and unaware to our houses and to our homes. We pray, oh Lord, that you'll make us a generous people. I pray for all debt to be uh, eliminated, Lord. I pray for blessing on them. I pray for all of us to pay off mortgages. Somebody with the mortgage should be getting up here to get prayer. I don't know why these altars are still empty. Pray for me right now, brother, on that mic. Pray that our mortgage will be evaporated because I need the prayer as we pray Jesus, for others. We bless your name, God. You're such an awesome and mighty God. You are a provider, God. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I ask God for provision right now, God, to erase the mortgage in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, you are the provider, God. You've given us a grace, God, and a mercy, God. Your mercies are new every day, God. In the name of Jesus, I ask right now, God, for you to erase debt right now in the name of Jesus. Erase debt, God, and give us wisdom, Lord. God, you say that if we just ask, God, God, if we just ask for wisdom, God, you will give it generously, God. I ask right now in the name of Jesus, 
to cover us, God, with the blood, God. Cover us with wisdom, God. Cover us with grace, God, and knowledge, understanding, God. In the name of Jesus, God, let the things that we don't know, God, be the things that we do know in the name of Jesus. Erase Amen. debt, erase mortgage, erase any type of uh, uh, obstacles, God, that would prevent uh, 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 increased revenue in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Nancy, pray for no stinginess but generosity. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be like you, that we would follow your example of being a giver. I pray against the spirit of selfishness and greed and holding on to things, God, that you are teaching us to let go. I pray, Lord, that you would pour out a blessing over your people, that we will be generous, that we would be givers, that when we see people in need, our hearts would be moved to give to them, Lord. And I pray that we uh, would uh, experience the blessings the overflowing blessings, Lord. Your word says that you would pour out a blessing on us from heaven, that we wouldn't have room to receive it, Lord. So I pray for every single disciple, every believer in this place, that we would be faithful to give you what belongs to you and to trust you with the rest, that we would be blessed to be a blessing, that we would be able to take care of our family, and the family next to us, oh God. So I pray that you lead us, that you guide us, that we would live by this principle with conviction, with conviction that we would be generous people of God, givers of everything that you've given to us, oh God. In Jesus' name, to you be the glory. Amen. Those who are praying, continue to pray. Nancy, would you stay up here with me? If you could just turn that down a little bit. But those who are praying, keep praying. Father, we ask you to bless them. Bless us. The way I look at it, brothers and sisters, is that our job can provide for our homes and our cars, but it's going to be our ingenuity that pays those things off. So, for example, as a pastor, the church pays for my house. That's one of our benefits. But my wife and I, we also day trade as a side hobby, as a side uh, gig. That could pay off that house. The trader that I follow made a million dollars Friday shorting Tesla. He uses very extreme methods. It is very high risk, but he made a million dollars shorting Tesla. Some of you don't know that language, what that means. He just said, I believe it's going to be down. He bought the daily options, and he made a million dollars. He's not a joke. He's not a lie. He claims to be a Christian, and I don't know if he truly is. But here's my prayer, just once again for all of us here, that God gives us wisdom, that God gives us knowledge. And it's not about whether or not we're millionaires. It's about whether or not we're who God wants us to be. And brother, if you could put it up there, please. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be pressed or poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So I pray for you on your job to, give, get, to get a promotion. I pray for you in your home to be able to clear a mortgage, to have more than enough. Why? So that you can give it away. So that you can give it away. See, when I look at people, not this man individually, but when I look at others that are in the stock market, they show their Lamborghinis, they show their gold. Mamba FX, he trades Forex. He has at least a half a million dollars of gold and diamonds that he wears. You can look him up, Mamba FX. He's a nice guy. He has a wife, six kids, so at least he's doing the right thing that way. But I look at that and I'm like, Lord, I wouldn't spend a half a million on jewelry. Lord, I would put it into my children's savings so they could start a business so that they can have their dreams come true, right? And so I can't be angry at him, though. And the Bible says don't envy. 
I can't be angry because that man went out there and earned it through trading Forex, foreign exchange. But what I can do is I can look at my life and say, how can I increase? And so my wife, she has a big budget that uh, she gets by the Lord and by our hard work here. But at the end of every month, how many ladies can relate, no matter how big the budget is, it's just not quite enough to follow her desires. And I say that in gentleness because I overspend more than she does. I'm being honest, but I'm just saying. But, but she said, well, what can we do? And I said, well, you can learn to trade with me. And so, you know, somebody's going to maybe sell herbal life. Maybe someone's going to go back to school to try to get a new job. But I said, why don't you learn to trade with me? So now she's learning to trade with me. And let's pray for her to succeed as we succeed. And so I pray for all you young people to be givers and to be generous in all that you do. Amen? Amen. Those who can be seated, those who are praying, continue to pray. Continue to keep praying. We're going to keep an attitude of prayer throughout all of this. I ask for these altars to be filled, and they are filled. Let's go back to Hebrews 13 because we'll be right back up here. This one is very dear to my heart. Matter of fact, altar workers, would you just stay up here because it's just, it's, I'm sorry. I know. It's exercise. Thank you. I know you are. But really, you could stay up here because we're going right back to praying for the underground church. Notice what it says in verse 3. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, we do need to have jail ministries, and I've been a part of them, being a chaplain, going to the juvenile jails, going to the lockups, and meeting with folks. And Berto was doing that for quite some time. And if there's anyone here that wants to reignite that ministry, let him know, because we have done that before chaplaincy to the prisons. But this is not talking about those who have broken the law and that we're reaching out to. This is talking about the suffering of the underground church and those who are persecuted for righteousness. So I'm going to ask that my wife uh, can go to my office. I have these bracelets that represent the underground church. Uh, Sometimes people ask me, is it a crown of thorns? No, it's actually barbed wire. That's what it's supposed to be representing. And so we pray for our brothers and sisters every meal at our house. I know some of these young men have been around. You've heard me pray. It's not a show. Sometimes I'll meet a new person, and, uh, you know, we're just, like, sitting there about ready to eat our ibaritos, and I'm like, Lord, be with those in Pakistan. Touch them right now. And I'm, like, wondering if this pastor is thinking, like, all right, show off. We get it. You really love Jesus. But, no, it's a Christian discipline of mine to do that. Now, some of you have wondered, maybe you've met me and you've heard me do that. You've heard me mention that. You've seen this bracelet on me. Pastor Berto will pass these out to anyone who wants them for free. As they raise their hands, go ahead, we'll give them to you for free. They're a bracelet. And inside the package is information to go and look up, which my brother will now put up. Would you go to Open Door? It says here, opendoorusa.org, please. And we're going to start to lift up some of these nations. But here's what I want these altars for when we pray, because I also know there's persecution in America, that some of you are shamed for coming to this church because of your family. Maybe they come from a traditional Roman Catholic background, or maybe, uh, you know, they're atheists and don't like you coming here. If you in your high school or on your college campus have been mocked or ridiculed, If anyone has uh, put you down for your faith, I want you as these altar workers are up here in just a few moments to pray because we've actually in this church suffered real suffering. How many have heard the story about Nini's Deli, Paint the Wall Black, Juan Riasco? Few of you. Okay, I know a lot of you are new here. 
but we have suffered persecution in this church. And so if you have suffered persecution or you feel sometimes like giving up because maybe your family or your friends are not serving Jesus and they make fun of you, I want you to make sure you receive prayer. Now, brother, if you could go over here to the world watch list, to the world watch list, yep, right there, click on it. Yep, go ahead and just click the top one, world watch list, please. I follow these folks on um, Instagram. Yep, and just go down just a little bit here. Thank you. You can follow them on wherever you get social media. These are the nations that we're praying for. These are the people that we're lifting up before God. It's also known as the 1040 window because of the uh, longitude. Longitude is this way, correct? Horizontal, vertical is latitude, right? So 10 and then 40 is how it's been known over the years. But in India, our brothers and sisters have been suffering there. In Pakistan, or as I like to say, Pakistan, they've been burning our churches. As you can see throughout Africa and places like Nigeria, Boko Haram, which was on the news not too long ago, uh, capturing our, our, our Christians over there, persecuting them. Also up here into the northern parts of Africa that are heavily influenced by Islam, Sudan. We have a sister from Ethiopia here as well that can talk about these different uh, struggles that they've had over there. And so when you go to this website, you can click on it and you can pray for them. And so I'm going to ask that TJ would come up because I know he has a heart for the underground church. And did everybody get a bracelet? Everybody's good? Okay, so once again, what we're going to do now is we're going to pray. We're going to remember those who are suffering. Uh, if I didn't mention this before, but South Korea is one of the worst. Vietnam, Vietnam. some of these uh, nations that used to be communists are very harsh towards Christians. China as well. Uh, they, uh, in China, pastors are being jailed continually to the point where they don't know how to stop it now. And we have to pray for them because a lot of these nations are at breaking points. Okay, so we're going to pray for nations, but then specifically if you've been up here, I mean if you're here and you've uh, suffered Christian persecution or you feel that sometimes serving God is hard and you just need encouragement. Let them pray for you as we begin to pray. Father, we lift up to you these nations. Lord, we lift up to, uh, to you, Lord, even parts of Mexico where the cartels, they murdered the Christians because they are interfering with them, O oh Lord, as well as Colombia and some of these nations here, O oh Lord. God, we lift up Northern Africa to you, Central Africa, Lord. We lift up to you the Middle East, Father God. We lift up to you uh, the Eastern Bloc of, of Russia and some of these other Eastern European nations that persecute Christians as well as Southeast Asia, India, Pakistan, Lord, uh, China, Father. We lift these nations up to you, God. We ask, Lord, that they will always be in our hearts, that these Christians who suffer, God, will be encouraged today, that they will not grow weary in doing well in North Korea where they have concentration camps, oh God. We pray that you will spare their lives. Uh, let their children be safe, oh Lord, even as they persecute them and, and Boko Haram kidnap them and take them as their wives, oh Lord, these Muslim terrorists. We pray for the peace of your people, Lord. And now, TJ, would you pray for our brothers and sisters who suffer in America by their family or friends? Hallelujah, God. Lord, I just pray for all the Christians in America, God, who suffer for the gospel, Jesus who suffer for their faith, Lord God, who get made fun of for being a Christian, Lord. Oh, God, who get made fun of in their high school, who get made fun of by their family, God. Lord, we pray that you will be with them right now in the name of Jesus, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, be with them, God. 
Be with the person who's suffering, who's crying for their family to be saved, Lord God. Be with the person who's crying for their high school to be saved, Lord God. Who's getting made fun of by people who goes against Christianity, God. Pray right now in the name of Jesus that you will be with them, God. Lord, I remember when you, when you was with me in high school when people were making fun of me because I was a believer, because I followed you, Lord. Lord God, be with them just as you was with me, Jesus. Be with them just as you was with me, Jesus. Oh God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that people who are suffering, Lord God, for the gospel in their high schools, Lord God, in their families, Lord God, pray we right now in the name of Jesus that they would not fall, Lord God, that they would not weary, God, but they would stand up for the truth, Jesus. That they will continue to stand for the truth, Lord. That they will continue to stand for righteousness, stand for holiness, stand for purity, stand for the things of God, Lord. We pray in the name of Jesus that they will not look back at the things of the world, Lord God, but they will continue to look forward at the cross, saying how beautiful, how beautiful, how beautiful is my Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that other Christians will come around them and encourage them and pick them up. Lord God, even when they fall down, I pray that they'll be picked up by other believers saying, continue to run your race. Continue to run your race. Don't go back. Continue to walk forward to Jesus. Oh God, we pray that you will have your way with them. Lead them and guide them, Lord God. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that persecution might come, Lord God. Persecution might come to these believers, Lord God. But I pray that revival will come as well, Jesus. We pray that revival will happen in their high schools. We pray that revival will happen in their families, Lord God. That there will be a shaking, God. There will be a shaking, Jesus. We pray that you will have your way, God. Oh, we pray to you a moving power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my brother. Those who are praying, keep praying. But let's put up the scripture of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at what Paul says, starting in verse 23. Paul says that I have worked harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Look at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. So that means they were whipped 39 times. Uh, he was whipped 39, excuse me, he was whipped five times 39. Five times 39. I want to see how many times Paul was beat. I mean, this is unbelievable. I can't even imagine this. Jesus was whipped like this once, but he was also crucified, right? Paul was 39 times 5, 195. Thank you, my dude. Beat the calculator. That's awesome. Um, 195 times uh, Paul was whipped. Think about that. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times, three times I was, I just lost my place here. Uh, beaten with rods. Look at that. Beaten with rods. How many would like to be beaten with rods one time? He was beaten with rods three times. Once I was pelted with stones. So they tried to stone him. The Bible actually says at this point he was dead and he went to heaven and God brought him back. So this was actually unto death. So he was stoned. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. This would be like us today. 
uh, traveling by plane and him being in a, pl a plane that crashed three different times. How many of you get back on the fourth time? <laughs> I wouldn't get back on like right after the first time in the natural. I'll be like, man, I'm going to take a boat now, you know, or something. But then he's like, I got shipwrecked, bro. Boats aren't even better. Because whatever was going on at that time was not going good for him, but he kept going. I spent a night and the day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. Those have always been around. In danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. These are people like coming at him and pretending to be Christians, hypocrites. Paul went through that. I have labored, labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. That's probably one of the times where they beat him. You know, I mean, if, if you think about Jesus, they strip him down and they beat him. That's probably what happened. They strip him down, they beat him, they lay him out there in the prison naked, and they just let him be there cold naked all night. Uh, verse 28, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not bo uh, burn inwardly? If I must boast, then I will boast that the things show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. And then if you just continue on to what he says about his weakness in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 9, he said, but what God said to me, because he asked for all these problems to go away, how many would ask God to take away all those problems? Like, God, please help me stop getting beat. Help me stop being in a, a boat that, that crashes. But then God says to him, hey, I'm not going to remove the problems. I'm going to make you have power to get through the problems. My grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. So after Paul went through all of that and he still served Jesus, what's our excuse? Right? And that's why we need to be honest when we're struggling. Man, I don't feel like coming to church. My family's giving me a hard time. Well, I don't feel like coming to church because, man, I had a bad week. Okay, we're not going to doubt that, but this is what we're going to say. God's grace is there for you. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me just say all verse uh, 9 and 10 here. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. So instead of boasting about all that we have in this world, we should boast about all, we, all that we have in Jesus. This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am what? When I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Let's go back to Hebrews 13. Thank you, altar workers. You might want to stick close by, though. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. Love one another as brothers and sisters. Don't show partiality, but be hospitable. You might be taking care of angels. Number three, remember those who are in prison and in persecution as if you yourselves were suffering. Do you see that? As if you yourselves were suffering. Remember them. The next one, verse four, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I hope to see these altars filled in just a few moments. Because here's what we're going to pray for. And husbands, if you're with your wives, wives with husbands, young people with parents, make sure you confess. If you have been looking at pornography, cheating, or thinking about cheating, it all needs to come out right now. Because the Bible says the mar that marriage should be honored by all. Just old people? No, everybody say all. Just old people? No, all. Just people who are bored playing the, the field? Somebody say all. No, all people honor marriage. Young people honor marriage. That means until your marriage, you remain celibate. You remain a virgin. Well, what if I mess up, Pastor Joe? You repent, you tell your parents and people you trust, and you stop doing that. 
young adults, baby mamas, baby daddies, stop messing it up. You're hurting people. You're hurting yourself, and you're hurting those children. And then if you think you got a solution and you go to abortion, now you're a murderer. So honor marriage. Amen? And here today, if anybody's struggling in these areas, these altar workers are going to be here to pray for you without judgment. But to make it easy on you, I'm also going to welcome up anyone who just wants prayer to remain pure. So now nobody will know your business. You see how I did that? So that means when these altar workers are up here and you come up, someone will not know whether you're coming up to confess sin to get right with God or if you're asking for strength to be a pure person. Did everybody get that? So no excuses. I want especially young people coming out of their seats in just a moment because we need to honor marriage. Those who are addicted to pornography now don't think that a wedding ring is going to take away that addiction. And those of you who are here that are already married, you can say amen to this. Just being married and having sex won't take away the desire for other women or other men. And so what that means is, is you have to look at your heart and say, where does my temptation come from? If your temptation is coming from your loneliness, then you need to ask God to be your all in all and bring you some good friends. If your desire for sexual uh, gratification is coming from the love of pleasure, you just like how it feels, you need to ask the Lord to give you the joy of his presence and his pleasures forevermore. Because God is so good, you don't need sex in heaven and you still feel good. Okay? So as much as that pleasure may be real, it can cost you your soul. The Bible says clearly, God will judge, notice this, the adulterer. So we know that if you're cheating, God will judge you. You cannot inherit the kingdom of God this way. And pornography counts as, as cheating on your spouse, okay? But then notice this, and all the sexually immoral. So it's not just the adulterer. Sometimes people say, well, as long as I'm not cheating on my girlfriend and we're being true to each other, that's not really something God cares about. He does care about it. So understand this. The one that's a desperate housewife like Eva Longoria, that show back in the day, the one who acts like that is going to hell. The one who's immoral, having sex with themselves, pornography, they're going to hell. Sexually immoral also constitutes homosexuality because it's immoral. The only sex that is moral in God's word is sex between a married man and woman. So sex with yourself, that falls under immoral category. Sex with the same sex, that's immoral category. Sex with multiple partners, that's immoral. That's all immorality. So everyone get this. You may not be a cheater, but you will go to the same hell that cheaters go to if you're looking at pornography, if you're having sex outside of marriage, or if you're in your marriage and you're doing swinging type stuff. And we have to say all that now, don't we? Because that's all happening in our culture. They want to make it normalized. They want to make homosexuality normalized. They want to make swinging or, uh, you know, normalized. They want to make pornography normalized. They want to make cheating normalized. And so as the altar workers come back up, please, we'll give plenty of time to get this out. And altar workers, if you're not pure, you need to not be praying for anybody. Don't be a hypocrite, okay? I just say that because I love you all. But here's the deal. You all know this. And if this is your first time at our church, we appreciate you. Now you know this. It's very easy to understand. Most of the Bible, take it from me, I've been reading it for almost 30 years, and I have a doctorate in it. Most of the Bible is as simple as what we're reading right now. How many can say amen to that? Most of the Bible is not four horsemen of the apocalypse trying to understand if aliens are demons. Like That's a very small portion of the Bible. The majority portion of the Bible is understanding the morals and God giving us the strength to live by it. And let me just also say this, that when we don't live by this, when we don't live by marriage, we destroy ourselves in our culture. 
Look at the problem with fatherless homes because generally when marriage is not honored, mothers raise children without fathers. Now, this doesn't mean that mothers can't be great mothers. I don't want mothers to feel that you can't overcome what's in front of you. But you will then have extra challenges. So will your children. And then the culture begins to think marriage is not important. So now we're say, uh, the statistics are saying that we have now more children being born outside of marriage than in marriage. And so by doing that, what have we guaranteed? Children don't have mothers and fathers. Now, if God did not intend us to have mothers and fathers in the home, why does he require mothers and fathers to make a baby? Amen? Even if they take something from a father and put it into a freezer and then put it back into a mother, how many know you still needed a person called a man to do that? Okay? So that just shows you how important it is how we have to take care of each other. So when we look at this, the marriage that's honored, it's not just like taking away our fun. Like adultery is not just really fun and my wife and I are just choosing not to do it. Adultery will destroy the trust that we have for each other. Adultery will then destroy the trust that my children have for me. Because if I cheat on my wife, how can they ever trust me to be loyal to them? Do you get that? If I haven't been loyal to this one, how can I ever be loyal to that one? And then now think about it like this. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that if men, every man look up at me, please, young or old, look up at me. Thank you. Listen to me. The Bible says, men, if you can't treat your wife like you do your own body, then you're not a sane, natural man. In other words, you're acting abnormally if you like to cheat on, your, uh, on women, on your wife, because that's like doing something against you. So in one sense, you're not really playing her. You're playing yourself. And that's why when you look at serial cheaters, especially with men, they're some of the most angry, unhappy dudes you'll ever meet because they're really hating on themselves. They don't know how to be open and honest with who they are, so they hide their pain with who they are by going and being with all these women. And then if you flip it towards the women, the women are supposed to look to men as their leaders, as ones that they can look up to and serve with as the stronger vessel. But when a woman can't be loyal to that man, that woman out of her own weakness will now go from man to man to man to fill a void that she can't fill. So she may look on the outside like she's independent and she's strong, but really she's weak. Every one of those women cheating on their husbands are weak and a housewife is strong. Why? Because the housewife understands loyalty and the courage it takes to fight through her own desires. Even if her husband at that time is not meeting the need, she sticks with her man. We're not talking about abuse. We're talking about working through hard times. Can I hear an amen? So in other words, the Bible says it like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in marriage, you're doing it one to another because the two become one flesh. So when you really look at cheaters, they're not just hurting the person they're with. They're hurting themselves and they're hiding their pain and their problems. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have some uncles that are on their third or fourth marriage? How many have some aunties that have three or four baby daddies? How many of you? No, I'm kidding. But how many of you, let's be honest, have been down that road and you're saying, yeah, I'm hurt. And instead of getting healed, I went to another quick relationship and then I got hurt again until you finally learned. And now I'm just saying this as well. Marriage does not fix everything. Jesus does. And Jesus can't make your spouse stay with them. So there is actually a clause that there is divorce allowed in the Bible when the spouse no longer wants to be with them. The two major areas are neglect and adultery. Paul talks about one, Jesus talks about the other. So I do want to encourage anyone here that maybe you went through something and it wasn't your fault. Maybe they wild out, they did the wrong thing. But don't hide your hurt now in bad relationships. As they say, the rebound, it could be even worse. It's better to be single than to go on the rebound and try to fix your pain with somebody that can't do it. Jesus can do it. 
That's why I always say marriage is not 50-50, it's 100-100. So if, if, she's lo- if my wife is looking for me to complete her, then she'll never be complete because I can't do that. But if she's complete in Christ, then what I can do is be a bonus to her. I can be an addition to her. Come on, somebody. I can be an extra in her life, but she has to be 100% with God. And the same thing is with me. If she completes a missing part of me, then she's always going to let me down because she can't be God to me. But if God fills my whole heart and God completes me, then she's my cherry on top. Amen. She's my butter on my biscuit. Amen. She's that what makes me happy. She puts a pep in my step. You know, when I see her, she turns my frown upside down. That's my boobster boo. But I got to get first right with God. Okay, so here we're going to go. If you have issues here in this church with someone, your spouse or parents with your uh, kids, and you need to confess your parents what you're doing, you need to get that out. Hey, man, I've been looking at my phone. There's pornography on here. I need to get it out. Mom, Dad, help me. Youth leader, help me. Spouses, I've been looking at pornography or I've been thinking about cheating. This is the place to do it. Trust me, you don't want to go to Judge Judy's divorce court. I say this all the time to men. Divorce will cost you more than you can ever imagine financially and mentally. It's better to kick, kick out those desires right now than to think you're going to start over the way you are. It's, it's going to cost you too much. And then for the rest of us, remember I'm giving you two ways to come up. One, you're already pure, and you just want prayer to stay pure. This would be like my daughter and young adults here who I trust are not looking at pornography, praise God, but if they are, they can confess it now. But for young adults or for adults that want to be pure, come on up. Let's pray that you stay pure. And then for those of you who have not been pure, this time is for you as well, whether it's in your marriage or on your phone or in those various ways. And then I'm going to ask that one of our uh, precious brothers, Augustine, prays for our marriages as well. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. Right now, Lord, that you will uh, help us to honor marriage, that you will teach us, Father God, to live pure and holy, that, Lord, you've kept me from pornography since 96, and I pray anyone here, oh, Lord, that's all in that junk right now, you'll get it out their heart like you did for me, Jesus. And that, Lord, whether male or female today, Lord, they'll know their identity. They will not be confused, Lord. And, Lord, they won't go down the road of homosexuality if that's their temptation. That, Lord, they'll honor honor the male and female paradigm that you set up, Father. And I pray, O Lord, for this generation that's confused from Ellen to the different stars that are out there that are now pushing it to them, Father, these alternative lifestyles. I pray for even these entertainers to get saved and repent as we've seen you have done, even with Kanye or Justin Bieber. I pray for these famous actors and actresses that are are homosexual or lesbian. Lord, they'll get saved and repent for these wicked behaviors because you love them. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that you'll take out of our hearts the, the attachment to that pleasure that pornography and sexual immorality brings. That you'll satisfy us, Lord, with true love until our spouse comes. Lord, we do not want to be judged for these things. We want your forgiveness, and we don't use forgiveness as an excuse to keep doing it, Father. In Jesus' name. Now, Augustine, would you pray for marriages here today to be blessed? Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for your strength. I thank you, Lord, that we can have you in our lives, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you can be the center of every marriage, Lord. I thank you, Lord, because without you, Lord, I agree, marriage does not work without you, Lord. It is because of you that marriages stick together, Lord. And I pray that each and every person here that is married, Lord, 
or, or is, is, is looking into marriage, Lord, that they will put you first, Lord, that they will put the kingdom first, Lord, because without you, Lord, our minds, Lord, the way we want to fix things on our own just makes it worse, oh God. But Lord, you are the glue that sticks it together, Lord. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that they would seek you out, Lord, have you at the center, Lord, and be passionate toward you, Lord, so that we can be passionate toward our spouses, Lord. May we both, Lord, always look up onto you, Lord. May each and every marriage, their husband and wife, look onto you, Lord, in every step of their life, Lord. Look onto you for wisdom, Lord, to overlook offenses, Lord, to maintain a a commitment to each other, Lord, and Lord, for wisdom in raising children, Lord, in the way that they should go so they would never depart, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they would continue to put you, Lord, so that the enemy cannot come in, Lord, and split anyone apart, Lord. Lord, I pray, Lord, marriage is such a beautiful thing. It is such a huge blessing, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that our eyes will continue to open, Lord, through wisdom and revelation, Lord, and releasing a joy, Lord, for one another, Lord. Lord, protect these marriages, Lord, and I pray, Lord, that they would continue to abide in you, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll take some more time here for those that are praying. I'm going to ask that one of our sisters from the church, Cynthia, will you come up and pray? And as you get to pray, would you keep it real? For some that are able to listen, would you tell a little bit of your testimony and how you've had to face the big D and how God has kept you? Um, it's been a year now that I have been separated from my husband. It's been 10 years that I was faithfully waiting for him to come to Christ after he committed adultery, which resulted in a child. Today, uh, Noah is 11, and when that happened, we met up with leadership, and uh, my husband committed to get right and he started but he didn't finish and um, as a leader here I kept serving God and I did not let that uh, affect my praising God making disciples so I kept going forward and I just kept praying and waiting praying and waiting praying and waiting and uh, there was always an excuse. Oh, I have to work extra. Or I have to, and I would never judge it. I would just wait. And last year, um, during prayer, I really found myself, it started changing to where I felt like I was like in a prison. Like if I was condemned to because I didn't leave him when the baby happened, that I agreed to stay with him, that it was too late to leave him because he wasn't following Christ. And so I prayed to God and I asked him, Lord, am I, I just turned 49. I said, Lord, do I have to spend the rest of my life waiting for William? Or if you can just let me know if it is, then I'll charge it to God. And I say, Lord, I'll live this marriage out for you because I did select him without asking God because I was not saved when I got married. But God spoke to me. Like, I mean, that month I was going in, I was praying, I was, I demanded something from God. And he spoke and he said, you may leave now. And I said, Lord, thank you. 
I felt immediate release. And in the end, that was my heart for my marriage. You know, I, I respect God so much that I would live my one life because I did. Um, I did choose William as my husband. And then, you know, when we die, that's it. I, I charge it to God and I gave it to God. But no, he released me. It's been one year and God is good and I'm still separated. But now we're on to the next step. And it's not easy, guys, you know. It's not easy, but if you're connected with Jesus and you give him your hundred, he'll meet you where you're at. Remember yesterday? And, um, and that's in anything, guys, in your marriage, in your finance, in your everything. You know, you give God a hundred, he knows your hundred, he knows your heart. He's going to match you, but you have to do it. So I still pray for him. I love him to death. It's hard to leave someone you love, but I got to love him enough to pray for him as a sinner as I go now and evangelize. That's what has turned for me. Now William is just that sinner that needs Jesus. And as I continue to go for Jesus, because if he doesn't want Jesus, then I, I don't want him, you know? I mean, I can't. No, separation. I'm going to still have her pray for those who have been divorced. We don't see it as an unpardonable sin. There's exceptions to how you can get a divorce. Like I mentioned in the Bible, adultery is one, so she has... She has the divorce card. She can play it at any time. That's up to her. But she's still taking that time. Think about that. Ten years, right? And the other one is neglect as an unbeliever, which is what Paul mentioned. So we take it very serious in our church. But now I want her to pray for those of you who are either separated or divorced, okay? And feel free to come up as she's praying to maybe have an altar worker lay hands on you as well because it's not over for you. Even if you were the cheater or you made the mistake, divorce can be forgiven. But if you caused it, it is a sin. But as we're seeing with our sister, it's not a sin. It's just a very difficult decision. Does everybody understand that? And we have this on our website as well, our teachings on divorce. But would you pray for anyone that's in a separation or divorce? Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we are at, Lord. Father God, you are the healer of all, Lord God. And for those marriages, Lord, that um, have committed to you 100%, Father God, we raise them up to you, Lord, and we pray, Lord God, for strength in that. But for the ones, Lord God, that have split or separated Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to give them strength, that you would continue to teach them, and that you would continue for them to see things with your eyes, Father God. Father God, I pray for that lonely woman, that young woman that feels that she isn't um, finished with love, Father God, I pray for a protection over her heart, Lord, as we were praying earlier here. And I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to speak to them. And I pray, Lord God, that they would continue to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because without that, Lord, we are nothing. I pray, Lord God, for uh, women not to give in to loneliness. If you do feel loneliness, you have to get connected. Connect to your sisters. Father God, I thank you in advance for all the new marriages, Lord, that are happening, all the new babies, Father God. And I pray, Lord God, for that woman that does want that love, that it's never too late. It's never too late, Lord God. So I thank you for the peace you have given me that surpasses all my understanding. And I also pray for theirs, Lord God, because you are so good, Father God. You're good enough, Lord, for all of us at the same time, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, sister.
took a lot of courage. Thank you. She's one of our elders, has a Bible study as well. For those that are praying, keep praying. But go to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 22, if you could. This is the ideal marriage. This is what we are to honor. The Bible says, wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives also should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. Can I hear an amen to that? Husbands are there to be a part of the wife's spiritual growth and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. You notice that? You love your wife as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So those who don't love their wives, uh, and, uh, their wife, and you see them playing on their, uh, you know, being a player, cheating, they actually don't love themselves. And that's going to come back to haunt them. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two shall become what? One flesh. And that's the mystery of God of how he does that with the church. Uh, those who are praying, please continue to pray because I know this can be a touching, a deep thing in people's hearts. And altar workers, stay up here because we're going to get ready to close out service. How many enjoy today's service? Amen. Wasn't this powerful? Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, as the band now comes up, we're going to close out with this last one. Would everyone stand up with me, please? The Bible says to keep yourself free from the love of money and to be content with what you have. Because God said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Now notice this. If you're struggling today with the love of money, chances are that's because you're insecure about what you can do in life. And so the Bible tells you, don't look to money as your God. Look to God as your provider. We put on the dollar in God we trust, but people are trusting on the dollar. That's foolish because the, the value of the dollar can go down. But the value that God has for you will never change. And as they'll teach you in any business school, once you have the knowledge of how to be successful, it doesn't matter how many times you fail at something, you can always get back up and be successful again. But if you don't have the knowledge, it doesn't matter how much people give you, you'll lose it every time. I talked about this a while back, and it's good to re remind everybody here. There was a time when Oprah was in Chicago, and she said, man, I want to fix what's happening in the South Side. So she bought a bunch of homes for people. She set up everything for them to get jobs. I mean, she's a billionaire, right? She's giving back. God bless her for that. But do you know that only after a few years she had to close down the program? Why? Because if you give people handouts but not hand up, they're going to be right where they were. And she found out how difficult it really is. Even when she said, if you come to the job interview, we're going to hook you up. You come to the clinic and, and get the training. People weren't doing it. Imagine that. Imagine being chosen by Oprah Winfrey to have a free house, car, job training. And all you got to do is now show up and people weren't showing up. And now people want to say to us, well, God doesn't pay my bills. God doesn't, man, God gave you everything to pay bills with. God gave you wisdom and opportunity. God gave you the gifts and the talents, and we're not going to use it and then blame it on him. 
That's just like that with Oprah Winfrey. Imagine people now poor after being a part of Oprah Winfrey's program. Well, she didn't give me enough. She didn't make it. Man, she gave you more than what most people ever have in their life. I've never had anybody give me a house. I've never had anybody set me up for a job. I had to start this church by God's grace out of our apartment with three to four people. Man, I had to get out there with blood, sweat, and tears, man. That's how it is. But God gave me the strength. And it doesn't matter what you go into in life. You're either going to trust God or you're going to trust that money. Now, you look at people who trust money and you look at their lives. And the Bible says it like this. It's not worth what they trade it for. I look up to Elon Musk and how he put together a business. But I don't look up to his personal life because look at what it costs him. He's the definition of having baby mamas because he can't keep a wife. Same thing with Trump. Same thing with these other people and how they cheat and how they, uh, you know, they live without integrity. Money is not the answer to all things. I remember watching the, the movie based on the life of Steve Jobs, and I'm like, man, I would rather have what I have than what he has. Because if being the founder of Apple means everybody hates me, and my own wife doesn't love me, and my children don't want to be with me, then what have I done? The Bible says, what does it gain a person to get the whole world yet lose their soul? So that's why the Bible says don't love money. Don't love it. You can have lots of it in the Bible. The Bible says you can have lots of it as long as you don't look at it as your God. Look at Abraham. He was blessed. Look at David. He was a king. You know when he broke kings? Come on, this guy had a lot. Are you listening to me? There are kings in our Bible, okay? There's, there's warriors, man. There's entrepreneurs. There's lawyers in our Bible. There's doctors in our Bible. Some of y'all didn't even know about, about that. Look up Zenos, the lawyer. Luke, the doctor. These were Christians, inventors, okay? There's even fashion designers that love the Lord. A Lydia was a dealer in cloth purple, the Bible says. That means she had a lot of wealth with the Armani that she was selling, the Dolce Cabana, whatever she was on, okay? But the money, everybody get this, you can have the money, but the money can't have you. But if you have money and it has your heart, you're going to be off. You're going to be lonely. That's why Jesus reminds us. I, you know, I can hear him, uh, Paul, because I believe he's the author here. I can hear him speaking like with the heart of Jesus, what he said in Matthew. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things, your food, your clothing, that's going to get added unto you. But you need God first. You need righteousness first. I can hear Paul saying that because why else would you connect? Don't love money to Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Because what's the first thing most people think when we say we're not going to love money? Are oh, you going to go broke. You're not going to have anything. Look, this brother right here went to Bible college. Oh, you're not going to have anything. But you know what? He works for one of the largest nonprofits in the nation, probably the largest after-school program in, 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 in Chicago, and has more than enough just bought his first house with his wife in Elgin right now. Come on. See, the world's going to tell you, oh, you go put God first. You do all that. You're not going to be somebody. Man, he is somebody. Man, he owns a home. He works in an after-school program. He blesses his family. And I know he's got dreams bigger than that, but that's, that's pretty good for how old he is right now. Owning a house, has a car for his family, pays his bills, two children. That's a happy life. That's better than you see these rappers or sports stars or these entertainers losing their mind, losing their wives, losing their gender. What's that one dude that had, was lap dancing on the devil? What rapper was that? Little Nas lap dancing on the devil, man. You a perverse sinner. Repent, dude. Like, I would rather follow this man than some dude lap dancing the devil. It's the same thing is with uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates, you can look it up. This is not even conspiracy. 
His wife found out that his name was on Jerry Epstein's list of traveling to that island. She said, I'm out of here. You nasty. You a billionaire, and your wife says, you nasty. You know you nasty. I know somebody's like, did they talk like that? I don't know. They're from Seattle. They probably didn't say that. But I'll tell you what Melinda Gates meant when she said, I'm divorcing you. She meant, you nasty. That's what she meant. That's exactly what she meant. She's like, I don't know where you've been and what you have done. I'm getting far away from you. Don't lose your testimony. Don't trade it for money. Don't trade it for temporary pleasures. Trust in God. And as the Bible says, look at it. The Lord is my helper. You need to put that on your desk, businessmen. You need to put that in your books, students. All the entrepreneurs here, put that in front of you on your phone or on your, your, uh, your screensaver. The Lord's my helper. He's going to help me to sell these things. He's going to help me to be the best at what I do. I don't have to trust that money. Now, in closing, if you missed any of these and now you kind of wish you could have did it, you can come up. If there's anything else we can pray about, maybe something's going on in your family, illness. I know we've had a lot of that going around lately. We'd love to pray for you. But this last point, I don't want you to miss it. If you feel like you can't trust God with your life and you feel alone, maybe you're going through hard times, come on up. Let us pray for you. Or if you want your business to be blessed and there's something that you've been putting out there by faith and it feels embarrassing because you're not succeeding at it. Maybe you're like me trying a new thing and you're not always so good at it. Let us pray for you because the Lord is your helper. Amen. And then we'll dismiss and I appreciate your time today. Father, thank you for this great service. I pray now as we prepare to dismiss that if there's anyone that missed a time to pray today or be encouraged that they'll come up now, Lord, for whatever that reason is. And then, Lord, for anyone that's dealing with what may be this last point, Lord, they're trusting their job. They're trusting their finances. They're trusting their own plans more than they're trusting you. Lord, I pray that they'll come up and get prayer to remind themselves that you're never going to leave them. You're never going to forsake them, God, so that we can go through whatever hardships knowing you're our helper. Money is not what we trust in today. In God we trust. We're seeking you, Jesus, because you said if we knock, the door will be answered. If we ask, we shall receive, and we seek, we shall find. I pray you bless your people today. And if anyone here does not yet know you as their Lord and Savior, that they'll repent of their sins and be born again before they leave out here. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.